0: It is Tuesday, April the 28th, 2023. Welcome, in everybody, to episode number 86 of Toe in the Slab, pitching with David Cohn. He is the former Young Award winner, five time World Series champ, and noted rosin chemist, David Cohn. We have the stats and research guru, James Smythe, myself, Justin Shackle, producer, Dan Work, with us along for the ride as well. Plenty to cover this week. David, you're, you're, rosin experiment went viral we're definitely going to touch on that in in a few moments but i mean when 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 you go viral how many people reach out to you like obviously your work is out there on the internet there's the actual piece that's getting uh, a lot of attention but uh you know none of us here have gone viral james i don't know if you have i certainly haven't what's it like to go viral man
1: uh, it's a little weird because we didn't know what to expect uh, when when we did did that little bit for Sunday Night Baseball. And I, I certainly expected some feedback, but it really feels like it, it just that the timing of everything was perfect. Right. Timing is everything in life. It was right on the heels of obviously what Max Scherzer, you know, uh, had happened to him. And and I just kind of followed his lead with 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 Scherzer. I, you know, I went with what he said. Mixed in the alcohol, and then the next thing you know, we've got this experiment going, and uh, it, it all came together.
2: Definitely check it out if you haven't seen it already. Um, Kony's uh, experiment, and it's a good thing because a lot of times when people go viral, it's for something bad. This is That's something good. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, well, I mean it enhanced the uh, ambiguity of it all. I think so. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on that in uh, in a few moments for sure. A uh, quick apology on my end if the, the you know the sound quality. Isn't up to par with what everyone's expected uh, from us um, on the road to Minnesota. I got Target Field actually out my window. It's pretty cool view uh, with the Yankees right now. They're playing the Twins, Um, but we're we'll we'll touch more on that. You know, sticky substance saga with the Rosin Max Scherzer getting you know suspended. Um, We'll also talk about what we're seeing here from you know start of the season. Obviously, you're going to have pitchers punch above their weight. You're also going to see some young big league hitters being overmatched so we're going to talk about what are some tough pitches for a young major league hitter uh something to note with Shohei Otani as well and also which New York team could be overachieving more right now and that will obviously lead us into our Yankee chat and there is plenty to talk about with the Yankees right now um I guess you could say, James, if they're going viral right now, it is for the wrong reasons. But we'll 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 save that for later in the episode. David, let's start it off with the opener like we do each and every week. What do you have?
1: Well, I think it's time that, you know, we, we take a closer look and throw a little love the, the, the Rays way. Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, anybody who follows baseball knows the incredible start that they've gotten off to. And is it real or not? A lot of talk about their schedule, too. Hey, well, they've it's a soft spot of the schedule. They really caught a break early in the season with, with some of the lower level teams that they played. But if you look under the hood, as they say a little bit with the rays and what are the improvements? Yes. They built, they're known for their pitching. They're known for being creative. They're known for being deep in their pitching staff, whether they use the opener strategy here and there, they have a real rotation. Now Shane McClanahan is as good as it gets at the top of the rotation. He's a great number one pitcher to lead your staff missing bats like crazy in his last start. But really, it's the offensive profile, that, that the power numbers that have really jumped up uh, over over year to year, uh, over a year to year basis. So I think, yes, they're playing Houston this week. They're a follow. They're watching. But I think, you know, the, the look under the hood means they're for real, in my mind, because of the power they're producing offensively now. And Yandi Diaz is at the top of that list. It's like the light bulb went off in Yandi Diaz. We've watched Yandi Diaz for years. Like, man, this guy's got a Greek God for a body. It looks like he could he could generate a lot of power, but he always went for on-base percentage. He went for average. He was always taking a strike. He wasn't very aggressive in his approach, but he did have a high on-base percentage. He was a nice major league player. All of a sudden, it feels, feels like he figured it out. Hey, I can hit home runs. I'm going to start driving the ball. And he's kind of led the charge, along with a lot of other hitters in their lineup, that now they are a legitimate power threat up and down their lineup to go with that great pitching staff. I say the razor for real
2: Tampa Bay's run in recent years where they've been so competitive and making the playoffs often it's been an elite pitching staff carrying a somewhat league average offense for the most part that's different this year they are bludgeoning teams and yes part of it is the schedule they're averaging almost seven runs a game during this 20 and three start they lead the major leagues with 48 home runs and you know like uh like they say, ball go far, team go far. So a lot of the talk about, oh, well, you know, home runs you know, are, are one dimensional or whatever. The home run ball is still the number one thing driving offensive production. And Wanda Franco's uh, taken a huge leap. And we've, is it similar to like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., where having a good first couple seasons, as a very young player, and now making the leap? Uh, Yandi Diaz, like you said, Coney, guys yoked. We've always said, if this guy could ever stop hitting the ball on the ground all the time. He was always one of the highest ground ball rate guys in the league. If he could just get more line drives, more fly balls, the power is going to be there. Brandon Lau is back. They are hitting bombs, and they also do have the the pitching staff that's allowing the fewest runs in the majors.
0: Yeah, the the pitching has carried the offense in recent seasons. I think what's impressive is that the, the pitching staff Experience even after this really hot start, they got hit with some injuries like Jeffrey Springs done for the season. They're still waiting on Tyler Glass now. The the rotation pieces that really surged out of the gate, they're still there, but they also lost a few. So it's almost like they did a, a little mini reset. Taj Bradley's come up and is is looking the part. So the the pitching staff, despite injuries, isn't skipping a beat. And now you have this bludgeoning offense with the core pieces, like you mentioned. I just saw that catch that Juan Franco made last night. I would just watch it before we started recording and I had to watch it like four times in a row because (laughs) it was like this sneakiest barehanded behind the back grab. Um, But that just shows you what type of player he is when healthy and he's all the way back. And also like uh, the, the trop is such an interesting spot. I think obviously the Rays use it to their advantage, but it is so clear that they have a real home field advantage, even in this small sample size. Like how, David, how does a place, a home ballpark just start to become a home field advantage if it wasn't already before for a similar group that's kind of been together for a while now?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's been that way, right. For a while. And I've heard, and then speaking from personal experience, when I was there, it seems like, it takes you a couple of games just to adjust to the lighting at the Trop. It's kind of dingy in there. It's definitely an adjustment from what you're used to if you're playing outside for the majority of your games. And then just about the time you get adjusted, the series is over and it's time to leave. So I've heard a lot of players and a lot of hitters. Paul O'Neill used to talk about that. He's like, "Damn, the first game or two, I just can't see the ball as well, both offensively and defensively. It's not the easiest place to play defense or for fly balls as well. So, yeah, I think that's part of it with the home field advantage there is that the the Tampa Bay Rays players are adjusted. Their eyesight, their vision is is certainly uh, very well adjusted down there because they get more reps. And uh, at just about the time that the, that the visiting teams come in and kind of get adjusted, it's time to get out of there. And they've already gotten spanked a couple of games. So confidence is part of it too. I think the Rays have tremendous confidence going when they play not only anywhere – As a team right now, but at home, there's something cooking at home with the Rays. There's a little bit of chip on their shoulder because they don't draw well down there. A lot of people make fun of the chop, you know, with the catwalks down there and the outdated sort of facility uh, that that they get uh, labeled uh, down there. So, yeah, I, I think there's a combination of a really good team takes advantage of the reps that they get down there. The lighting's a little dingy for opposing teams, and there's a little bit of chip on their shoulder. And then they kind of uh, use all of those to their advantage down there with the race. Monday's win against the Astros
2: made them 14-0 at home this season. That is the longest winning streak at home to start a season since the 1886 Detroit Wolverines. They had a two-man rotation back then. Lady Baldwin, and Pretzels Getzian. (laughs) That's
1: fantastic. Great nugget right there.
2: (laughs) Gold. Um,
0: (laughs) Off to this great start. I know it's early still, but David, when do the other teams in the division start to really pay attention to the deficit they're in trying to catch this team?
1: Well... It's, it's a little early to worry about those sorts of things. You know, you got to get your own house in order, and every every team's dealing with their own issues, whether it's injuries or trying to get healthy or trying to figure it out, you know, what what type of team they're going to be. So, yes, you can't help but take notice. But there's also the expanded playoff format this year uh, that came last year. There's, there's still avenues for lots of teams to make the postseason. I think everybody understands that, uh, especially if you look just to last year, recent history. You look at the Phillies. Their regular season record, their ability to get hot at the right time, their ability to roll through the playoffs and make it to the World Series is certainly a a very recent example. So you, you have that in the back of your mind, too. Hey, there's a long way to go, but you can't help but see the Rays and say, you know what, you, you, my hat's off to them. They're a great team. They're taking off. They have a lot of confidence. Still a long way to go. We'll see. but. The pitching's for real, and they have a real number one, as I mentioned at the top. Shane McClanahan is a true number one and a Cy Young Award contender right now. Uh, He misses bats like crazy, as I said before. So, yeah, they they have all the ingredients to to sustain this run, even though it is early, and, and we'll see how it goes. But nonetheless, yeah, you do take notice.
2: The teams in the ALEs, the second, third, and fourth place teams behind Tampa Bay, are the three teams currently holding playoff position. It's as silly as that is to talk about in April, but they're four and a half, six and seven games out. Even though they're on pace for, you know, mid nineties win seasons, but we do have to pump the brakes a little bit because 20 and three is, is not sustainable. That is a 141 win pace for a full season. So the Rays can be for real. The Rays are here to stay they They are the team to beat, but th- this particular pace is going to cool off at some point.
0: And for those of you who say like their schedule to start was easy. Well, they're playing the Astros this week. So pay more attention to that. See how they fare. They won the opener uh, against Houston last night. Uh, let's, let's, let's get to this Rosin saga here. And look, Max Scherzer, I think at this point, it's safe to say he was trying to toe the line as much as he could to gain a competitive advantage. Human nature in the world of, of pitching and what legal substance or substances are allowed at this point. Um, David, who's kind of dropping the ball here when it comes to the vagueness of rosin levels to start the season? And is it it a coincidence that we're seeing this at the very start of the season or umpires are on the hunt for this stuff?
1: It's not a coincidence. It's it's absolutely uh, an issue that Major League Baseball wanted to push early in the season. And they feel like recent experience when they first started to check for spider tack and sticky substances from the pitchers, the spin rates dramatically dropped across the board. And then they sort of started to creep back up over the last, uh, let's say six months of a major league season, including last year. So uh, I think that was the impetus for them to sort of send a message again. This is such a hard thing to police. I think this Max Scherzer situation illustrates that as well as anything, because it really probably was Rosin, even though um, Rosin's a legal substance. They're trying to regulate the stickiness of Rosin. They're trying to determine whether it's just Rosin or Rosin plus something else, some foreign substance. The ambiguity in the statement from the umpires in, in that Max Scherzer situation leads me to believe that they felt like it was so sticky that there was potentially something other than Rosin mixed in with Scherzer Scherzer said it wasn't. It was just he cleaned his hands with alcohol and because he had some residue and some clumpiness on his fingertips, uh, the the, the alcohol can sort of activate the the remaining rosin on your fingers. I did that experiment for ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. It's true. That's exactly what happened. So, you know, I just followed exactly what Max Scherzer said. Hey, I had a lot of rosin on my fingers. It got clumpy. I've done that before. I've seen it. I did, the, did that in the experiment. I did have discoloration and a little clumpiness on my fingers. I cleaned it off with alcohol. It did get stickier initially. I showed it, the ball sticking to my fingers. So I believe Max on this one. I think he was just using rosin, cleaned it off with alcohol, and, and then put some more rosin on top. Rosin's very sticky. You know, if you use it properly, the problem is, is keeping it sticky that you have to keep reapplying it. You have to keep getting moisture or sweat. You have to keep getting the mix on your fingertips. That's why you see pitchers lick their fingers all the time. They're trying to continually add moisture to the rosin to activate the rosin. So, yeah, I believe Max. I don't think he was using anything other than just rosin. So, uh, you know, that's what kind of sent me off on that tangent a little bit, is that the Major League Umpires said, you know, well, we, we didn't know. We thought it was too much it was so sticky that we, we, we sort of suspected that maybe he was using something other than rosin. I don't think that's the case at all. I think Max was telling the truth. He's going to push the system. He's going to get as much rosin as he can, cleaning your fingers off with alcohol and then reapplying rosin as I showed in the experiment can really kind of activate the stickiness and make it feel like it was stickier than before. And that's what the umpires accused Max of is like when we checked him after the fourth inning, after already having checked him a couple of times before, prior, that it was actually stickier. And I believe it. I believe that's true. After you clean your fingers with alcohol and reapply rosin, it's going to be stickier than, than it actually was before.
0: Can the league reach uh, and set a clear understanding for umpires and players to know how much rosin is acceptable?
1: Well, the, the tricky part is, is what they're trying to do is this, they check a pitcher like Domingo Herman they determine, hey, that's too sticky. That's too much of the legal substance we allow you to use. Uh, you're, You're taking advantage of what's already legal. So you're too sticky. Go in and wash your hands. There's the problem. Okay, how do I clean off rosin that's already gotten clumpy or a little discolored or whatever? It's built up on my fingers. The proper way to clean it, you can't even, even if you wanted to use soap and water, it wouldn't come off. Anybody who's ever painted a house that gets paint on your fingers or changed oil, changed the tire and got oil on your fingers or grease on your fingers knows that you need something stronger than soap and water to kind of get that off. And then if you end up washing your hands with water too long, your fingers will get pruned and soft, and that's not optimal for throwing a baseball. That's the last thing you want is pruned fingers trying to grip and spin a baseball. So the tricky part is, okay, I got to go clean my hands off. I'm too sticky with the legal substance you're allowing me to use. Alcohol is probably the best thing to use to clean off the top layer, even though it does activate uh, the sticky part that's left. So it's this is almost untenable, really, on how they're going about this. Uh, the cries out for a, a different baseball, some sort of treated baseball, you know, all of these issues, all these roads lead back to one area, the actual baseball itself. We've talked about the baseball a lot with Meredith Wills, the astrophysicist who, who did the studies on the baseball and said, hey, wait a minute, there's a couple of different kinds, maybe even three different kinds of baseball. One, the flies, one, the dies, uh, all within the, 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 the specs of Major League Baseball, what they put out on, on, on the baseball, the variants and the specs. So all roads lead back to one area, the baseball itself, until they solve that issue, maybe a tacky leather cover like the Japanese-style baseball then then that that's this is going to continue to happen and trying to regulate rosin and trying to tell pitchers to go clean off you're too sticky from the legal substance we allow you that's to me is, a, is almost an untenable situation and you, you have to it goes back to the baseball we got to fix the baseball
0: how, how much time passed for you sunday night after you did that experiment before your your fingers went back to normal you didn't you didn't have any stickiness
1: i had it on the plane ride home i took the red eye back and my, my fingers were still kind of sticky Uh, And that kind of leads me to laugh at the, you know, and the umpires said that too. the umpires that, 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 uh, were in the Max Scherzer game said that, you know, not only was it so sticky after they checked him the third time that they still had sticky on their hands or they couldn't get it off their hands for several innings afterwards. Well, yeah, it was several hours later for me. I still had, you know, kind of, I could feel it on the plane right home. that yeah, my fingers were still somewhat sticky.
0: Uh, from a TV production standpoint, because, you know, you're obviously pitching expert, but hey, you, you know the art of TV production now here. You've you got viral clips. How, how did that come about? How did that idea surface?
1: Well, I actually think our producer, Andy Jacobson, who produces Sunday Night Baseball uh, for us there, and Eduardo Perez is the best, too. I mean, he's all over the clubhouse. He's the one who secured the rosin bag. He was pushing the idea as well. Eduardo's great. Uh, Andy Jacobson heard, heard me talk about, you know, uh, I think on our podcast last week, but yeah, you know what? Alcohol can exacerbate it. Alcohol can sort of uh, activate the rosin and they got the idea there and they said, why don't we do it? Can you do an experiment? And I said, sure. Get me the rosin bag, get me the alcohol. It'd be pretty easy to sort of recreate how sticky rosin actually is and how actually when you try to clean it with alcohol, it actually makes it even stickier, just like Max Scherzer said. So, I said, you know what, I'm going to follow Scherzer's words here and do exactly what he said and show you what the outcome would be. And, and, the, and it was pretty easy to do from that point on. All right, let's let's move on
0: here to another topic that kind of came to mind over the weekend, watching guys like Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman against the Yankees. Uh, it, In person, obviously the slider for Manoa up until the weekend wasn't performing up to the level that we expected from him. Gosman splitter still great. So those are two plus plus pitches. And and the Blue Jays are facing a Yankees lineup with several youngsters in there, young major league hitters trying to find their way there. They look completely overmatched against those two pitches. But guess what? Everyone's pretty much going to be overmatched with plus plus pitches like a Manoa slider or a Gosman splitter. And you could go around the league. You can find all those plus plus pitches. That'll give anybody trouble. I'm wondering if there is like that one tough pitch for a young major league hitter to adjust to. And if so, like, obviously what is it, or is it entirely subjective hitter to hitter?
1: A little bit of both, you know, absolutely. I mean, when you get up into the high quality spin of, of say a Manoa slider, that he even made Aaron judge look bad a couple of times, you know, the the MVP from last year. So certainly I think high spin rate breaking balls are always going to be at the top of the list. I'm a little bit biased. That's kind of what I featured when I pitch. So I have a lot of confidence in that particular pitch, but it can be hitter to hitter. And sometimes for younger hitters, it's a really good change up. It's sort of the, the front to back theory of pitching. You know, we've talked about it here on the podcast and we've had some pitchers on this podcast mention this, that, Three different ways to get hitters out, north and south approach, high fastballs, breaking balls in the dirt, east and west approach, cutters and splitters that fade away from left-handed batters, and certainly the the front-to-back approach, which is fast and slow, the changeup. So a lot of times it's the changeup, the straight changeup, and the good spin rate that mirrors fastballs now uh, is, is more difficult to hit for some hitters, especially when you have the platoon advantage. If you're a left-handed batter <clears throat> against a right-handed pitcher, that really knows how to mirror his spins between his fastball and his changeup and make them look alike, you know, i.e. a four-seam grip on your changeup and a four-seam fastball, you know, that, that can be tough for, for some, some hitters to pick up as well. That would be my guess, uh, a, a good big league slider,
2: guys, something that guys might not be used to seeing uh, in, the, in the minor leagues, being thrown harder with more precision and more break. Uh, you can make a case for for a fastball too. In in the big leagues, the guys know where the ball's going more often. A lot of times, it can even help a young hitter when you have higher quality pitching because you're actually going to see strikes. But it's too much of a good thing because a lot of times a guy could be overmatched too. If you're get it, if you if you have someone like an Alec Manoa slider like that's really on and he he had trouble locating in the first few games, but you watch him for an inning or two early on Saturday and you think, all right, he's back. So when you have a guy locked in like that, it's going to be tough sledding.
0: For sure. Uh, If if those two are performing to that high level, and then you say Kikuchi last couple of starts has stepped it up big. So we, we were talking about the questions surrounding that Jays rotation. Obviously Jose Barrios needs to look more like the pitcher that the Jays signed to that extension um but if they are stepping up the way they have uh, they're gonna be a tough out especially when the Rays I guess come back down to earth from this pace they're on they're obviously gonna still be good but the, the the regression to the mean will will be there for sure fans more toe in the slab is coming up but also coming up Mother's Day and I'll admit I'm that son who does wait till the last minute to find that perfect gift for mom but I've already started Doing some research here with Lightbox. And this is where I'm going to be going this year. This is where you should be going too. Let Lightbox lab grown diamonds do all the work for you this year. Lightbox makes lab grown diamonds that you'll love with pricing that you will understand. Whether it's sparkly studs, brilliant necklaces, some shiny bracelets, these gems will make mom's jaw drop. So whether it is for your mother or for your spouse, You get her a stunning stone from Lightbox Lab Grown Diamonds. It is a guaranteed win. Skip the socks this year. Instead, become the MVP of Mother's Day. Stand out with a gift that she's never going to forget. Use promo code THESLAB10. That's T-H-E-S-L-A-B, the number 10, for 10% off your purchase. Shop Lightbox Lab Grown Diamonds and use the code THESLAB10 for 10% off your purchase and make Mother's Day a win. Obviously, Shohei Otani is a a name that we're always going to discuss off to a sensational start on the mound. Something that caught my eye, though, last week, the Angels had Shohei Otani pitch on short rest last week. Are they trying to maximize the amount of times he takes the mound this season, or are they just kind of letting it rip because they know that Shohei Otani is not re-signing with the LA Angels?
1: I'm not sure. I mean, Shohei Otani clearly drives the bus in terms of decision-making. What he wants to do, he he usually has happened. You know, he's on his own program from what I've heard out there in terms of his work in between starts. They talk to him, how do you feel? They kind of let him make the decisions for himself and trust his his ability to read his own body. He pitched two innings on Patriots Day in Boston, got rained out. I think the real second-guessing there was you saw the weather, why didn't you hold him back a day and pitch him at Yankee Stadium against the Yankees? And Phil Nevin, I think, knows that maybe Shohei Ohtani, even though it's a small sample size, has struggled at Yankee Stadium. He did last year when he pitched at Yankee Stadium, probably his worst start of the year. Maybe he was trying to protect him a little bit. But the fact that he only had two innings and a low amount of pitches in those two innings got rained out, allowed them to bring him back in, on short rest. So that was the, that was the caveat there was, you know what, you only pitched two innings. Let's go ahead and bring you back. He dominated. He was dominant in that start. So obviously, the you know he was fine physically, uh, but yeah, I don't know about maximizing. I still believe Artie Moreno, even though he tried, he, he talked about selling the franchise in the off season, backed off of that, got cold feet, wants to stay the owner of the Angels. Well, if you want to stay the owner of the Angels, the best thing you can do is put your best foot forward and try to sign Shohei Otani. And the best thing you can do there is be active at the trade deadline and hopefully make the playoffs and get your guy into post-season and give him a chance to pitch in post-season. That's your best, that's your best way to sign him back. If you're willing to spend what it's going to take. I don't know what it's going to take to sign Shohei Ohtani. I've joked that maybe it's time to start offering him equity in the franchise. Maybe that's a bit, maybe that's one little caveat to do it. I doubt that will happen. Although it's not a bad idea. If you're the angels, you want to sort of, uh, you know, come up with a creative offer, you know, maybe it's something to look at, you know, I don't know what the angels are worth, but you know, what, what is 1% of the angels worth right now? <laughs> I don't know, but you know, maybe, maybe those are the type of things you need to talk about. If you want to try to sign this guy, Shohei Ohtani, who is like nobody else in the game.
2: Like Coney mentioned, it's a little bit of a weird extenuating circumstance last week. So last Monday he has a two inning starting through 31 pitches. And then he comes back on three days rest Friday at home against the Royals. He did dominate. Seven shutout innings of two hit ball, two walks, eleven Ks. Now, what struck me when I looked up his um, his career splits, so not only was that the first time he'd ever pitched on three days rest, he had never even pitched on what we would call normal rest, four days rest. So, of his other sixty seven career big league starts, he'd had twenty one on five days rest, extra rest, and he'd had forty six. So about two-thirds of his starts have been on six days rest or more, extra, extra rest. We know between just regular off days in the schedule and the Angels often using a six-man rotation, a lot of times his starts over the last couple years have been lined up on a particular day of the week, show, hey, Sundays was a thing uh, in Anaheim for a a little bit um, when he first came up. So he has the extra, extra rest thing going on, and for someone like him, because of the added responsibilities of being the ace of the staff and – one of the premier hitters in the league. If he's someone who's making 25 starts in a year instead of 32 uh, making every turn, that's going to be plenty.
0: And it is worth noting, he'll have a little extra rest this week. He's pitching on Friday now. So uh, could, from the conventional schedule, uh, literally uh, an extra day rest pitching last Thursday, he'll pitch Friday here. Um, start of the season, you're going to see teams over achieve, do a lot better than I think a lot of people expect and most fans expect that they will uh, come down to earth, whether it is, look, Hey, the pirates off to a great start. Can they sustain this? A lot of people don't think so, but don't tell them that. Um, But specifically with pitching staffs, rotations, bullpens combined, which pitching staff kind of catches both your eyes in terms of punching above its weight right now to start the season.
1: (sighs) Wow. You know, if you look at the injuries to the Yankees pitching staff, it's hard not to say, you know what, um, they have been better than expected, especially in the bullpen. When you look at and top to bottom uh, with some of the injuries there, Jonathan Loisega is expected to be sort of a co-ace at the end of the games with, with Clay Holmes. I, I think you got to look at the Yankees as kind of overachieving a little bit in, in terms of top to bottom. The injuries they've had, especially their bullpen, has has been better than expected in my mind.
2: The Yankees lead the major leagues in bullpen ERA. And the rotation, the much maligned rotation, because they don't have any depth and all that, they're already on their sixth and seventh and eighth starters to start the season. They have the sixth best starting pitcher ERA in the major leagues, and they've allowed the second fewest runs, only the Rays. Only the super great start Rays have allowed fewer runs per game in this young season than the Yankees. So they've uh, really gone above and beyond expectations. I think uh, punching above their weight um, is. Has anyone ever told you, Shaq, that you have a future in boxing?
0: Yeah, you're. <laughs> always, I'm always going to be leaning on those those boxing phrases and so, inter- intertwine them in baseball. <laughs>
2: um, this is going to be a little bit of a weird one because I. You talk about Pittsburgh, they've been off to this uh, great, surprising start. But um, looking at the Milwaukee Brewers, they have a 354 ERA. That's great. And they've allowed the fifth fewest runs in the majors. They are in the top 10 in starting pitcher ERA, they're top five in bullpen ERA, but their fielding independent pitching is almost a full run higher. So their ERA is 354. Their FIP, a, an estimate of, of ERA, based on walks, strikeouts, home runs, something that is considered to be more in the pitcher's control, is four, five. so almost a full run higher. And what struck me is that the Brewers, they're not striking anybody out. They have a, a strikeout rate as a staff around 20%, and that is the fifth lowest in the major leagues. That is very unlike the Milwaukee Brewers during this uh, Craig Council, David Stearns-era run with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff They have the fifth lowest K rate this year. They have been in the top four in each season from 2020, 2021, and 2022. They've been in the top 10 in strikeout rate every year since 2018. So it's very strange to see the brew crew uh, not not missing bats. That's a good
0: pick for the the underlying context there. Um, I'm going to go with another team in the NL Central, and it's the Cubs. I I think before the season... They were as much of a wild card team in terms of what could happen this season as any team you could pick in the sport and they were busy in the off season but again all seems like all the moves that they were making were like okay this could go one way or the other and i think the belief in their pitching staff was again one way or the other no nothing in the middle and I mean, did, do we expect this type of start from Marcus Stroman? Obviously a formidable pitcher, but this is a high level of performance in in April. Drew Smiley, who I was surprised when I was digging a little bit deeper here. He's only 33. I thought he would be a lot older, but his, his curveball, obviously, uh, the metrics are in love with with that pitch. Justin Steele's carrying over what he was able to do toward the end of last season. That's what jumps out at me. There are some younger pieces on this Cubs pitching staff, like Steele in the rotation, Um, Keegan Thompson, another in the bullpen. Like They had really strong finishes to last season, and the carryover effect is there. So I don't know if it will last. I don't know if they can sustain this, but the Cubs, to me, are, are a team that's pitching above its weight right now.
1: Yeah, the three S's, right? Steele and Stroman and Smiley, the okay. the, the triple S. Uh, you know, I think it's a great point. It's a great pick. Justin Steele is a huge lift for the Cubs organization. Homegrown, developed, really looks like he's taking the next step. I mean, when you look at the metrics, it, it's not. It, there's nothing that jumps off the page. It's overpowering, but he's kind of mastered that cut fastball. And sort of like Nestor Cortez, fastball, like a four-seamer and a cutter. and throwing a lot of them. It's kind of hard to predict, a kind of one-two punch that kind of mirror each other and look and come in on the same plane, sort of that tunneling effect. He's kind of mastered that. That's a big lift for that organization. When you get somebody from your organization come up and looks like a legitimate number two starter. I love that
2: Cubs pick, and I kind of fell into that when I was tracking some – MLB bullpen early season ranks involving the Yankees because Yankees are in the top of the league and in a lot of different categories. And I saw that the Cubs they lead the major leagues in strikeout rate by their bullpen, and it seems like an interesting collection of guys. Michael Fulmer's been roughed up a little bit, but the strikeouts are there. Uh, Michael Rucker has been fantastic for them uh, so far this season. Mark Leiter Jr. has a 2.16 ERA in nine appearances. He has 15. K's in eight and a third innings. Brad Boxberger is, has, uh, has looked good at times, too. So it's been a, a pleasant surprise in, in the in the Chicago relief pool.
0: David touched on the Yankees perhaps overachieving moments ago. New York has two teams who both expected to go deep into the postseason. Obviously right now, uh, again, both expect to be good. They're kind of own uh, each battling Uh, their own adversity in their own ways here, Yankees and Mets, which New York team do you guys think is overachieving at the moment during the first month of the season with everything that's going on?
1: Well, you know, when I just, we just covered the Mets on Sunday night baseball, I think offensively their profile is really good. They're a dangerous team offensively and they're trending in the right direction. Their strikeout rate is down. Uh, their walk rate is way up. Uh, they have pop with Alonzo off to a great start and 10 home runs so far. So they're getting on base. Alonzo's hitting home runs at, at a record pace. Uh, they're a dangerous team and they've got some youth coming up. Brett Beatty playing third base. Uh, they've got some other good pieces in, in the minor leagues that they could come up some hitters on the position side. that can come up and fill into some blanks on down the road as well. I think the Mets are well positioned to be real. So that leads me to the Yankees. So, you know, I, I think the Yankees, when you look at their record, they had that string of, of winning series uh, in a row. They, they, they had the split with Minnesota. Then they finally lost two out of three to the Blue Jays, and they've lost the first one against Minnesota. So I really kind of feel like, you know, if you're looking at a team, uh, maybe it's the Yankees with their injuries. What kind of team are they going to be? What's their outfield going to look like once they, once they sort it out? You know, can can the kids get going again? Will, will Oswald Peraza get a little legitimate chance to get quality at-bats here and find out what kind of an offensive player he's going to be? Anthony Volpe's been much better late after the slow start. You know, how is he going to settle in at the, in the leadoff spot? There's still some unanswered questions with the Yankees, so I worry a little bit more about the Yankees. I think the Mets are a dangerous team right now. Uh, their offense, I think, profiles as a really good elite offense. I saw it firsthand. Uh, you know watch out for the Mets
2: yeah I'll, I'll agree with Coney there um, and, and go with the the Yankees for that pick but I think it is just worth noting how early in the season it is because if you asked this question a week or so ago I would have, would have been a totally different answer so the the Yankees had that string of, of series wins now all of a sudden you lose a series they're the last team in the majors to lose a series this past weekend against the blue Jays. Now you lose a game in the series opener against the twins. And you start to think, well, could this spiral, but the Yankees, they started eight and four, and now they are in a little five and six slide. The Mets not too long ago, they were the team that was scuffling out of the gate. They were six and six. They got swept in Milwaukee on with the last game being a walk-off home run. And, and saying, okay, well, well, where, where are they at right now? All of a sudden, they've won eight of their last 11. So all it takes is one series, one week to to
1: really change your fortunes here. It's still so early. Yeah, all on the road, too. The Mets have played the most road games up to this point, 17 road games. And coming off of, a, I think, a seven and three West Coast swings. Yep. So now they're back home, well-positioned to kind of take off in their offense and their lineup. The top five in their lineup. Offensively, just are just nails in my opinion. They're really, really elite in terms of one through five in their lineup.
2: So you have a three-game set against the Nationals, a little appetizer you get to get to to maybe rack up a few more wins, and then circular calendar for this weekend: Braves at Mets at City Field, their first meeting of the season. That should be a good one.
0: That's. A matchup that jumps out at you for sure, but yeah, the Mets. We're, we're in the final days of the first month of the season. The Mets have played six home games, like that needs to get drilled into the listeners' head at that yeah. point. Seven, seven and three on the West Coast, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with you guys. I think the Yankees have have overachieved when you compare them to the Mets. I can't recall like a stretch of games where in each of their losses, like the team's weak spots are just glaring like every single time the Yankees are losing maybe because they're they're winnable games they're close games they've only been kind of blown out I think once and it was against the twins last homestand but every game you see the current weaknesses the current shortcomings they're just slapping you in the face they're they're right there usually you know uh, it it could be a mixture of things that lead to a certain loss but there's all these common issues that jump at you jump out at you with every Uh, single loss and that that kind of leads us into our Yankees chat here offense isn't clicking right now plain and simple the pitching uh, and and James you you talked about it earlier in the episode they might not you know they, they probably shouldn't be where they're at with their with their pitching even though they've historically had terrific pitching seasons the last several years I mean you have that bullpen anchored by guys like Cordero and Hamilton and uh, Weiser, like these are names that I don't think Yankee fans and the Yankees expected to be shouldering some of the load in the first month of the season. But uh, but they're doing a great job punching above their weight. But it's clear that um, the offense is struggling uh, dramatically right now. Six runs in the last four games. Aaron Boone pretty much said, "Hey, we're we're trying to fight while we wait for some of our regulars to get healthy." and the issue i have with that like josh donaldson needs more uh, time at the plate he needs more plate appearances i think he does deserve that he does when he when he gets healthy but bottom line is it doesn't seem like he's coming back anytime soon john carlos stanton's the only injured player right now who you can say man the lineup will receive a big boost when he returns so i don't know if the the returns are actually there like will john carlos stanton's return be enough for this offense to stabilize itself over the long haul.
1: It's all, all valid points. It, it, with that being said, Giancarlo is it, a huge blow. You know, the, he, he was off to a good start combination of him and Aaron judge. We've been dreaming on for years. If they stay healthy for an entire year, collectively, how many home runs are they going to hit? What damage would they do collectively together by the end of the year you know, we'd set over and under home runs between 75 and 100 together. Could they both drop 40? Could one of them drop 50 and 40, 90 home runs collectively? You know, those are the sorts of numbers we were, you know, that would dance around in your mind as you try to put your predictive hat on. With all that being said, the Yankees still feel like an unfinished product. Like they're still in search mode. Get Harrison Bader back in center. What is their outfield going to look like? To me, that is the biggest question right now. The infield wise, you kind of you, you can see it, even with injuries. DJ Lemayu at third, you know, obviously Volpe at short, Glaber at second, Rizzo at first. You can kind of see that there. Even if Donaldson comes back, then DJ goes to kind of fill it in the blanks all across the infield. It's the outfield that's the question for me. Is Bader going to come back and really solidify center field? Do you, does that put Aaron Judge in right field for the majority of the time where they want him to kind of protect him over there? Who's your left fielder? are they going to make a trade you know coming up with the trade deadline is there a match for a trade does oswaldo cabrera grab that left field spot and become a left fielder or is he more of a super utility guy to me the questions around the outfield are the keys moving forward feels like an unfinished product and and on the on the on my final note what i will say is this um if you look at expected stats which i know a lot of organizations do if you, if you go to baseball savant and look at the expected numbers whether it's a uh, hard hit rate or expected batting average or expected slugging or, or Wobicon expected weighted on base average. If you look at some of those numbers based on the quality of contact that the Yankees have had collectively as a unit, they're much higher than you would think they're top 10 in terms of hard hit rate, expected Wobicon expected weighted on base average. You look at any number of the expected number of stats that that's sort of are predictive in terms of the quality of contact that the Yankees have made as an offense, it's better than they've shown. So if you want to say, have they hit in some bad luck a little bit based on the quality of their contact uh, tech, contact so far, you, you could certainly make that argument because they're they're definitely top 10 across the board in a lot of those expected numbers in the major leagues, not just the American League. They're top five in the American League in some of those expected numbers, including hard hit rate.
2: Uh, that's a good point. And I think uh, one case there would be Gleyber Torres because he cooled off so much during this last homestand, and you start to worry, is he spiraling into another funk like he had in August last year? Well, his walk rate is still excellent. He's not striking out uh, a a lot more, which would be a red flag. His chase rate is still very good. And just watching his at-bat, he's had a lot of times where he hits a line drive right at somebody. So it's not too much of a concern for me. We know this is a top-heavy lineup. That's the case for a, a lot of teams. And for the Yankees, if you go through their top five hitters, including Stanton on the IL, you have Judge Rizzo, Torres, LeMayhew, Stanton, those five guys. If we're looking at OPS plus, which is uh, uh, players OPS as a percentage of the league average, where you're set at the league average is set at 100. And if you're 10% better, that's 110. If you're 5% worse, that's 95. And everything is a percentage point based on that. Judge Rizzo, Torres, LeMayhew, Stanton. They're all at 120 or better. So they're all 20% better than league average or higher. But when you have guys in the bottom of the lineup or the, the other guys in the top 10 in plate appearances on the team, Volpe is 83. So he's 17% worse than average. Franchi Cordero has, has really cooled off. He's at 81. Jose Trevino, 55. Oswaldo Cabrera, 47. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, 21. Those are... Sorry to say those are pretty much like picturesque uh, batting lines at, at this stage of the game. And it's only been, some of these guys have only had 15, 14 or 15 games played, but it's one thing to be a top heavy lineup and say, well, Jose Trevino is someone who was relatively close to league average last year at the plate and was better than the league average catcher. Now he's hitting 208 with a 240 OBP and a 313 slug Oswaldo Cabrera Coney, you mentioned you know, the, the question of who's in left field. The, the starting left fielder is Oswaldo Cabrera. He started 14 of the first 23 games in left field. His slash line, 211 average, 230 on base, and 296 slugging percentage. Oswaldo, in his first 20 games, he has two walks and four extra base hits. And there are a lot of just dead spots in the lineup once you get past the first five.
0: You can't operate with a lackluster second half of your lineup, any team. I mean, you can, you can have world beaters in the first four or five hitters, but you need something more than, than what we're seeing in, in the latter half of a lineup for the Yankees. I remember a couple of years ago uh, when they, and Dan, Dan Rourke, our awesome producer, uh, jump on here, man. Yeah. There you are. I, I, think, I think it was you. I'm just by a Twitter glance. I think it was you who I saw mention how the Yankees should make a similar move like they did with and Encarnacion, where they didn't wait all the way until July. Like that was an early trade season type of deal that the Yankees pulled off. Obviously it was really valuable until he, he was injured, but um, do you think that they need to make a similar move like that? Can they afford to wait for Harrison Bader to, return and see what he is after a sample of games?
3: Uh, First of all, with Bader, I mean, I I love him to death. I don't get like too all that excited about him just because, you know, at best going into this year, I was hoping for him to be maybe a league average bat with the good defense. So I I can't get all that excited about him. And that's really why for the first time I'm kind of on the pessimistic side of things, because we're kind of in it with this lineup for now. I mean, Donaldson couldn't come back, come back. Sure. And right now I would take him. But really until Giancarlo comes back, which is what, two, maybe three months away with the way he deals with IL Rust, like you're really not getting any sort of big boost from, from anybody. There's nobody in the minor leagues at AAA. That's like a clear call that would help you out like it was kind of last year. So yeah, I think you would have to kind of go externally with it. Only problem is that Edwin Encarnacion trade. I mean, that, that kind of thing is rare. And that was, that was June. We were April 25th when we record this right now. So I could just say, go get Jock Peterson, which is, you know, one of my dreams for this season, but that wouldn't come till July probably. So I'm kind of accepting for at least the next month or so. I mean, this might be it, like what really could happen. So that's kind of where I'm at with
1: it. Yeah. It's a great point, Dan. You know, I I know it's frustrating, especially for Yankee fans out there as you look and then sort of, is there anybody in the minor leagues? Cause that's where you have to go. Now you have to do it internally in April. you're, You're looking internally for somebody to call up. And I don't know if somebody down there is ready or not, you know, it's you name it. I mean, who are who's next in line in terms of prospects that could can that could potentially be called up that are e- even on the roster right now that wouldn't require a roster move. So last year, their best option was Esteban Floreal, who had a gr- pretty good year in AAA, even though his strikeout rate was, was concerning on the major league level. And that's probably what kept him out of of, of being in contention for being on this roster right now. He's there now. You'd have to get him back on the roster. I don't think he's the answer in the outfield. So if you're looking for an outfielder, who would it be right now? Would it Jason Dominguez is not ready yet? He's in double A. Is it somebody like you know, Elijah Dunham or somebody, you know, somebody else who's who's down there? You tell me, Dan. I mean, I I, you know, who who, who's next in line for the Yankee prospects if you're looking to call up an outfielder.
3: Yeah, I mean, the only name I've really heard of mentioned by others is Elijah Dunham, but like you you look up his stats and not that stats tell the whole story of the prospects whatsoever, but like he's not saving anybody, you know? So it's, I I just wonder what is, and maybe there's a a move out there, like some veteran that gets cut. Yankees can pick him up. Cause you know, we've seen them have success with that before, but this seems to be the year where they're not. I mean, Willie Calhoun's probably batting fifth tonight and it's like, I mean, he's on the roster. I understand, but there's not, not many options I can think of right now, which is uh, frustrating, frustrating.
0: Say less, Dan, Willie Calhoun batting fifth for sure. were, Were you that guy? Were you, was I correct? Were you the guy suggesting a yeah. similar thing to Edwin? I brought he up was. the Edwin
3: Encarnacion trades. Okay. Of course, you know, I don't have any examples for what could happen this year with it, but I don't <laughs> know.
2: <laughs> well, it's also, it goes to show, Cody. you talk about this all the time. It's hard to make trades. You have to match up with your your need, with what you have and what somebody else wants, and it has to be the right time of the season. Who's even going to be looking to make a trade in the middle of June, like with Edwin in 2019? Um, one question, does a longer term Donaldson injury help Oswald Peraza get more regular playing time? Because if you look at, okay, Rizzo's at first, DJ backs him up. Glaber's at second, DJ gets some time there too. Volpe's locked in at short. Third base is is pretty open. Peraza could get regular starts He made three starts in a row there a, a few games ago, and you can have Peraza mixing in there. He can back up Volpe. He can back up at second base. And that's one that could be if, he, if you give
1: him some run and he runs with it, that could be one less spot to worry about. Love it. Uh, you know, you need to find out about the young guys. You know, it's an opportunity. Ab- absolutely. It's an opportunity for Peraza to, to find out a little more uh, about you know, where he fits in. Can he play third base? I think he can. He's a great athlete, moves great, great arm it's about the offense can he be league average or better can he show some pop can he run the bases steal some bases to me and anytime you have a in today's game with the new rules if you've got a chance to be a power and speed guy then you got it. that's your your value is greatly enhanced oswald peraza is a potential guy in that category a power speed guy at 2020 30 30 stolen base guy a potential 15 to 20 home run guy right now as we speak, maybe he develops into something more. Paul O'Neill believes so. Paul O'Neill watched him a lot in spring training, watches him take batting practice, loves his swing, thinks the power potential is there. You look at his body type, you look at the, the bat speed he generates. O'Neill's a believer in Peraza. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, that, that's something to dream on. You know, that we've, we've talked about that with uh, Anthony Volpe, you know, a 20-50 guy, a 20-homer guy, a 50-stolen base guy. Peraza's a 20-30 a, a guy. 20, 20 homers, 30 stolen bases in today's game. That, that's more meaningful than ever.
0: That's the catch 22 in all of this. paraza uh, Volpe, Oswaldo Cabrera. Like they are, they are exciting and intriguing assets in this lineup. The other thing is though, that the, the Yankees doesn't seem like those young hitters. They have the safety net with good performances from the other people around them right now. And that's, that's where you fall in a bad spot. Uh, David, really quick, before we get out of here for this week, what, are you seeing in the progress of Clark Schmidt and Johnny Brito in the rotation?
1: Very encouraged with Clark Schmidt. Uh, he's got swing and miss potential. He showed that. He started missing bats uh, consistently in his last start. I think his mix of pitches was much better. He had a much better game plan. Used his fastball more. You know, in, in his previous start, I think he only had an eleven percent fastball usage rate. That's just not enough. You know, even though. Uh, you, you, he throws a two-seam fastball in the mid-90s. you got to be able to bury that inside to right-handed batters to protect your breaking stuff, that good spinning breaking ball package that he has. I still like his, his knuckle curve better uh, at, at a higher usage rate than he showed, but even though he showed he showed it better and more in his last start. So, yeah, I was very encouraged, very encouraged with Clark Schmidt and Johnny Brito as well. When Johnny Brito throws his third pitch, which is that curveball for strikes, that, again, protects that changeup. We know he's a fastball changeup guy. We know he's more of a pitch-to-contact guy, even though his fastball can get up in the mid-to-upper 90s. It's more of a two-seam, put-it-in-play kind of category for a fastball. But his changeup, is nails, it's well above average. In order to pr- protect that changeup, you throw your curveball for strikes when you need to get back into counts or get ahead in counts. That puts your changeup in a position to be able to use the finish hitters. That's good for Johnny Brito. So to me, I, when I look at Johnny Brito, I look at, is he getting his curveball over for strikes? First pitch to the lefties. Can he drop it in there and get back into counts with his curveball and protect his change up a little bit? He did that much better in his last start, even though he, you know, he got knocked out in the middle innings. <clears throat> I, I think that's the formula for Johnny Brito.
2: I think going back to the offense, the one stat that sticks out to me for both of those guys in their last starts, zero runs of support on Sunday and on Monday.
0: Yeah. Um, As they, both continue to kind of learn on the go here. Do you think if the Yankees have an opportunity to separate them from going back to back in the rotation, they'll they'll try and do that in order to protect the bullpen a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I think that's an ongoing thing where we'll evaluate that start to start. And if they see an opportunity to get Garrett Cole out there more often, I, th- I think you do that with Garrett Cole. Cause he's so durable. Everything centers around Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole gets the ball no matter what, uh, when it's his turn to pitch, if it's regular rest, Garrett's going to get it. And then you could skip one of those, those back end guys. A lot of it's schedule driven. When you start mixing in some off days, I know they have that coming up next month. I think the Yankees have a, sort of a, you know, a high number of off days that will allow them to juggle here and there, but everything centers around Cole. He gets the ball. And then the off days, the juggling you know, around the off days will come.
0: Yeah, this is this, the stretch right now. They're currently in one 16 game, 16 days they have an off day May 4th and then right after that is another 16 games and 16 days stretch. following that one, I think the off days come at a, at a higher pace so maybe the, the stretch that we're all talking about and evaluating the offense, seeing what the pitching can uh, what, what can be done about the pitching, it follows these two stretches where they're playing 16 straight games apiece. Um,
1: yeah, stay tuned. A- there may be an opportunity to get creative on the Yankee side and, and, and kind of take a page from the Rays playbook in terms of an opener strategy in front of a Johnny Brito or even a Clark Schmidt. That's, that's what I was thinking. You know, the last go round. Hmm. I wonder Michael King through the lineup once and then Johnny Brito on his back or Clark Schmidt on his back. I think that's something to follow that you could get creative with because there's not a lot of reinforcements in the starting rotation down on the farm, so to speak. You know, Randy Vasquez is probably next in line. That's on the roster. I don't know if they're, they're quite ready for him to, to fill in at this point. So I I'm interested to see maybe a, there's a potential opener strategy in, in these string of games that you just mentioned, Shaq, that if you want to, if you want to help out Johnny Brito a little bit, or Clark Schmidt, if they're having trouble getting through the lineup two or three times, you know, an opener strategy might be, might be a possibility there, especially when you have Michael King ready to go in, in that role.
0: I like that because that probably allows you to use Michael King more frequently. And the way he's pitching right now, that's what you want. You want more Michael King uh, for, for this Yankees team. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Again, David's going to be uh, at city field for Mets and Braves, correct?
1: Something yes. Right? Yes, uh, I will. All right.
0: So be on the lookout for that terrific series coming up in New York. In well, Actually, uh, break, I'm sorry. And,
1: We're in Houston next weekend. So. Oh, okay. Phillies Astros world series rematch. Yes. We, yeah. We have uh we're not to Citi field for a couple more weeks. I think so.
0: Okay. So we get a rematch of the world series though. Philadelphia, yep. Houston. Uh, could to be a good one? Bryce Harper could be on his way back. Probably definitely not for this Sunday night game, but a lot of intriguing storylines for that. So make sure you catch David on Sunday night baseball, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you never miss anything that we are dropping out on that platform and for David Cohn, for James Smythe, for our awesome producer, Dan Work. This is Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next week on Tone of the Slab, pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. Take care.